John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 283.jb0306, certificate number 25901, the Cotsworth calendar. Oh, oh, lousy smart weather. (laughs) Is this the name of a racehorse? Cotsworth calendar. (laughs) It sounds like a door-to-door guy, like I'm here with Cotsworth calendars, ma'am, and I'd I'd like to change your household. (laughs) I bet you're using the old calendar. We have, um, if you're a luminous slug listening to these entries in 3000 AD thematically, this is probably one of 600 shows we've done about our, <laughs> our uh, various calendar, bizarre and failed calendars. Of Calendre. Um, you know, we did a show on the French, uh, revolutionary calendar. Right. Um, and so when we've uh, done a show about the advent calendar, which hasn't <laughs> aired yet, <laughs> we might do a Christmas show about the advent calendar. Who yeah. knows? Uh, we can do a show about, uh, what are some other calendar far side calendar? Far side calendar is great. We're the, just going to go through. <laughs> what if we had a podcast where we just went through a random desk calendar quote of the day calendar? We have, um, I do a New York times day calendar every day. What does that mean? You do a calendar. Well, it's a puzzle of the day. Oh, oh, oh right, right now I'm in the middle of 2017. I'm, it's like, you know, I'm, it's like, I'm finally binge watching Sopranos or something. I am. I am all in on the New York Times crosswords of spring 2017. And are they like the ones that air in the in the newspaper? I guess they don't air in a newspaper. <laughs> no, they do. The ones That's that the a- word. <laughs> the ones that appear in the newspaper are the Mondays easier than the Fridays. Yes, they're they're shifted in time, but uh, but not by week. So uh, every mo- I do a Monday puzzle on a Monday. Yeah. Tuesday puzzle on a Tuesday. Okay. You can see where this is going. No, no, no. On Wednesday, go, go on. I often do a Wednesday puzzle. Sure, and illustrate it further. Thursday, they're getting a little tricky. Sure, That's they are. That's why I do a Thursday puzzle. So, but it's, you know, I can't participate in the discourse around whether today's New York Times puzzle is hard or good or whatever anybody on Twitter is oh, saying or what you're, you're John inhibited. Hodgman complaining about today's puzzle. You're inhibited on, in a social media context yes. in sharing your puzzling that's, that's what you want to do. Yeah, of course. Immediately after you solve a crossword puzzle, you want to hear a hundred people complaining about it. I, I may have told this anecdote before about one of the, you know, one of the things that really bonded me to you was uh, the time that you came over. You were there at my house for some reason. I don't know what it was. Co- collect, uh, uninvited. Co- collecting your bag of geld. Would you like the Cotsworth calendar? And you, you looked down on my coffee table and there was the New York Times Sunday crossword and it was... Half or three quarters finished, and you said, "Oh, the 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 Sunday crossword. How's it going?" And I was like, "Oh, you know how crosswords are. The Thursday, is, you know, I like a Thursday. I'm not so sure about a Friday. The Saturdays are pretty frustrating, but the Sundays, I usually make my way through it." And you <clears throat> you stood there patiently listening to me talk about it first, and then you said, um, "I've never failed to f- finish a crossword," and uh, you said it in that in that distinctive way that made me despise you this really makes me sound like either uh what i guess best case scenario i'm extremely spectrum me in, mm. in this story mm. i have never finished across a failed to finish a crossword john mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and what, but no what's in the fact, worst case in scenario? fact i'm just an a-hole in this story <laughs> I'm ext- yeah and then you went on to you know to detail your your experiences at the crossword world championship and and, Pulled um, out the trophy, which I, for some reason, had on me. Yeah, and then for a while, you actually, in texts and stuff, you would offer to f- help me finish crosswords. 
you were really doubling down on it. You knew what an a-hole you were, and you were really going to... And uh, yeah, that was really... Weren't you texting me? Weren't you like, what's 26 across? I absolutely was not. <laughs> I do not try and solve crosswords the way uh, the way I'm sure some people do, which is to... Complete at all costs, right? Well, yeah, gotta... to look stuff up or, you know, what? why would you do that? Why yeah. would you do a crossword if you weren't trying to do it? I am the pathological extension of that, where I will literally just have some... You know, little brain teaser I happen to see somewhere on a you know a Stucky's placemat or something, and I will just uh, determinedly, doggedly not look it up for weeks. Yeah, waiting for the answer to appear. Yeah, and when I when it does finally appear, it is you know the greatest pleasure. I'm There's s- no reason for any pleasure of the flesh. No, no mm. wine, woman, or song necessary if you can um, if you can solve the word puzzle you saw in the paper eight days ago. Yeah, I unlike you, I sometimes take a couple of days to finish a crossword, and sometimes I have the Bader Meinhof situation where reading a completely unrelated thing, I'll I'll see the answer to one of the, you know, it'll be oh the Cape Hatteras lighthouse, of course, and uh, and I'm always like kind of angry. I'm angry when I discover the answer out in the world. Because a, I want it to be. Oh, I, you, you didn't want to stumble on. It. No, I want it to come from my mind. No, I but if, but that's another way. You're, you are you are the universe. You're right. Your hmm. mind is present in all the all of creation around. Just take the Buddhist approach that shanti, uh, shanti. that when the universe delivers the answer to you, that oh. is coming from within as well. All right. Okay. Within you and without you. <laughs> like last night, for example. This is we're getting pretty far afield from. Uh, Moses Cotsworth, whom we have not even mentioned yet. <laughs> okay. Well, you just mentioned him. So what is that? Six minutes in. <laughs> but last night I was, uh, I was looking at a thing where you would have three, you, you would see clues for three different words, which are neighbors in the dictionary. They're alphabetically adjacent. Oh. And you try to figure out what they are. And in this case, I think it was oh. an 11 letter word for a, a numbskull, a nine letter word for a glutton, and then two four letter words for some kind of Chinese food. And I, Fell asleep thinking about that, and this morning I still don't have the answer. Chump, uh, chow mein. No. Oh, oh, it is. It's certainly chow mein. Chow mein. Two four-letter words. Yeah. So uh, the word for a so it's a chowder head. Chowder head. Okay. What what was what's what between was the third? Chow, what was the other clue? A, a glutton. Um, um. Oh, a chow hound. Chow hound. Thank you. Uh, I was hoping we could. Chowder, chow hound, chow mein. I was hoping we could. Uh, See, it just came. The universe. I I was hoping to leave that as an exercise to the viewer, but um, but you were too fast for me. Yeah, <laughs> fastest uh, gunslinger in the West. So Word slinger. So there we go. Uh, well, I have to think of something else to to tease and tantalize the listener with. I've started to do the. I haven't yet subscribed to the New York Times Puzzle Bank, where where which I know you spend. Not only probably six hours a day over there trying to complete their acrostics or whatever, but I actually catch you doing it sometimes during the recording of this show. You're looking at your phone, and I think you're researching some topic, and then I I'm actually, then I realize you're just doing I'm a just puzzle, doing the jumble. I'm like, come on, Ken. But you do how how many hours a day are you doing puzzles on your phone? Oh, uh, like the New York Times spelling bee. any puzzle. If I'm watching something, my wife wants to watch that I think is boring. I will um, probably be doing New York Times Spelling Bee on my phone. If if I'm in a car and not driving, I will probably be doing the New York Times Spelling Bee. How many other hours? Well, I want I want a total number of hours and minutes the per is, day. The thing is, I can do any New York Times crossword in under ten minutes. So, <laughs> so it's less on a Monday. Right. So look, five minutes on the toilet with a New York Times crossword. Right. That's five. Uh, probably about an hour with the with the Spelling Bee on my phone. Okay. Uh, and then maybe at the end of the day, like just to fall asleep, uh, 10 minutes trying to think of an 11-letter word for a numbskull. Mm-hmm. So what does that add up to? It's, it's an only, hour and a half. Yeah, it's, it's more time than I spend on uh, literally any other pursuit, religion, my family, uh-huh. uh, my country. Right, sports. Uh, exercise, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crafting. So I guess, How much yeah. crafting do you do? I do quite a bit of decoupage, yeah. but that's only in between puzzles. Grooming. Uh, almost no time grooming, clearly. Right, three minutes grooming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have it really down to an art. Like, it really is like, uh, you know, boom, 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 nine minutes, shower and all ointments, and I'm I'm good, you know? Ointment? 
How many ointments do you apply? I am. I am in my 40s, John. <laughs> this is something we should do a show on. Like, I got to get, I got to have mentholatum on my knees. Right. Frankincense. No, not really. Myrrh. I have some, like, cocoa butter that I, um, like, hands, ankles. It's really, like, my skincare regimen is like a 12-second a, a thing. Hands, ankles, knees, and toes. Yeah, nine seconds if somebody's waiting. Um, but the reason why I mentioned calendars is because we, you know, we have done the French Republican calendar on the yeah. show. And when Morgan suggested we do a show on the international fixed calendar, the invention of, uh, of 19th century uh, reformer Moses Cotsworth, I thought, well, we already did a thing about crazy failed calendars. Yes, we did. If you'll recall, the French Republican calendar was, it, it was mostly an attempt to secularize the calendar, to get rid of all the saints days, yep. right? So instead of St. Cecilia and St. Swithin, St. Bartholomew, you would have like uh, 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 Sorghum Day and uh, Peridot Day and um, Groundhog Day, you know. But like all revolutions, it also sought to remake the world. Year one would be the year we came up with this calendar. Right? The most important thing that's ever happened, obviously. <laughs> Uh, we're going to eliminate Sundays, so there's only been a six-day week. That's true. Well, they were going to decimalize the calendar. That, right. that weakens the church. Um, so you get a 10-day, there's a ten, three 10-day weeks a month, 12 months of three weeks, three 10-day weeks each. And then a rump month. Yeah, the problem is that gives you 360 days, so you have to have a five to six-day party month kind of festival uh, things tacked at the end. Festivus. It's, it's a festivus at the end. And I, the, kind of, I kind of don't mind that, the except calendar. I don't want to work a, 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 an eight-day week and have two days off. Well, this was kind of the problem. People were, you know, now that the day of rest is doesn't have the weight of the church behind it, and it's only once every 10 days, people realized they were getting the shaft. Plus, I think the, in theory, you were supposed to get a half a day off in the middle of the week. So, you know, half a day if you off. get one day off for seven days, then you get a day and a half for 10 days. The math's not <laughs> terrible. But the problem is nobody would take that half. Nobody would give you that half day off. So. What it should be is four days at work, a day off. Four days at work, a day off. I mean, this is the this is the Rodrickian calendar. Uh, wait, you only want... And that's 10 days. You only want two days off per 10 days? That's worse than that's worse a deal than we're getting now. Oh, okay. Three days at work, two days off. Three days at work, two days off. Yeah, I like that. Aren't they going to... Didn't Spain or somebody just announce they're going to try the Roderickian calendar? I feel like everybody I know has been working that calendar for a long, long time. <laughs> it's just they spend two days sitting around. I know plenty of people in publishing that uh, are hard to get a hold of on a Friday. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I think Spain is trying out the... They announced they're like... Uh, Vamos a usar el calendario de John, mm -hmm. John Roderick. Uh, Spain has already been doing that because from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., there's <laughs> no way to get anything. They're keeping that and they're losing Friday. Uh, so the French Revolutionary calendar did not take, and I think a lot of it was... Um, like a lot of things that, that, uh, yes. that resulted from the French Revolution. But I think if it had been good, it could have survived, you know? Because mm -hmm. this this you know this would have been... It could have just been a disconnected reform. It wasn't necessarily tainted by all the beheadings. Well, I think I think also it predated the industrial revolution ju by just enough right. that there wasn't yet labor. You're just annoying farmers. Yeah, there there wasn't this the sense of like a, the, the a labor calendar force. could even be regimented. Right. Yeah. And I think if it had happened 30 years later as part of some you know, some uh, well, mid-19th century sort of sweeping revolution, maybe it would have if, if why didn't Marx propose a calendar? Now I, it's one more criticism of Marx I have. This is my literally my only problem with Marx's Leninism. Why do they still have a seven day calendar? Come on, come on. Uh, there are well, this is the story we're going to examine today. What if somebody had tried a modern reform calendar in the nineteenth century? You know, because mm -hmm. you know the end of the nineteenth, early the twentieth century. This is the uh, the time of reform and progressivism and all kinds of efficiencies and changes that are going to redraw society for the better and bring us into the future. Antitrust, labor movements. I mean, it was, everything was happening. And some of these, some of these things were literally changes to the work week, right? Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have all the days of the week named for Esperanto. Right. Um, well, yeah, this was the work week. Yes. And also the, the reform of child labor and. And if religion was what swamped the French Republican calendar, you know, not having the, the clergy on board a little too early for that, maybe, maybe we can do it now, you yeah, know? Right. Maybe the, the early 20th century is the time for a more secular uh, time measurement. The New York Times literally said God is dead. Not yet. <laughs> not at this point. Later. You always quote Elton John on this point. <laughs> and 
Uh, last time I got in trouble because I said it was Daniel, and I think it's Levon. Levon. Yeah, it's Levon. Um, in fact, it is Time Magazine that said God is dead. Elton John is misremembering. And poetic license. New York Times sounds so much. It just rolls off the tongue. He's not. Time he's, he's not familiar with our American publications. Yeah. Why didn't he say the the, the punch, Manchester Guardian? Punch Magazine said God is dead. <laughs> Hello said God is dead. And also, have you seen who uh, Pippa Middleton is uh, with? No, it was Viz Magazine that said God is dead. <laughs> Viz Q. So uh, our story of the 20th century attempt to reform the calendar begins with the 1859 birth of one, Moses Cotsworth, who Mm -hmm. is a poor Yorkshire lad. Mm -hmm. Um, His dad's a farmer who dies when Moses is but a wee uh, baron of two. Mm. His mom heads to the big city, which in Yorkshire is York, to try to work as a domestic servant. She left the Shire. (laughs) Right. Like, Like many hobbits before her. She wandered to the big city, but not of Bree, not of Rivendell, not nope. even of Minas Tirith. Nope, but York. Of York uh, to work, um, you know, probably ironing things with a flat piece of metal. Yes, right. Emptying chamber pots. Emptying chamber pots. And she leaves young Moses behind. Wait a uh, minute. In the Dales. By himself? With his grandparents. Okay. He's, he's two. You can't. Even, a, in, even in Yorkshire, John, like the limit, <laughs> the age limit on that is three and a half, as you know. That's a common, uh, that's a common technique. Leave them behind with the grandparents. Yes. The history is silent on what the grandparents thought of all this. I'm sure they were, um, they had no teeth or tendons or anything because they were probably in their late forties. You know, that's right. They're, they're from, this is, this is, uh, the North of England. So, you know, the North has different rules. Yes. And it remembers, uh, hmm. in this case, uh, Moses turned out to be one of these remarkable, we don't believe in the great man theory of history here on Omnibus. Hmm. Except when we study one of these just remarkable prodigy children who from birth is destined to be a huge weirdo. Right. Uh, and here he is. He's, he's stacking blocks, and it turns out it's a RNA. I guess that's the weird man theory of history. Uh-huh. Like the bizarre, we do subscribe the to The bizarre that. child who owns six <laughs> different years of the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> will, Wait a minute. You're describing yourself. Yes, that's mm. exactly right. Mm. Uh, I am the epical man. Uh, his grandparents have a, you know, just a very simple little country cottage, but they do have an oak chest that has the Bible, yep. which is of interest to Cotsworth. He's, his family is Quakers. He's a religious person his whole life. And Shakespeare's sonnets. Uh, even better, almanacs. Okay. Because his farming family has to know. Oh, right, of course. You know, w- when you plant the seed and what's your young ones thing? <laughs> when you grow the seed and when you eat the seed. Right. That's, the the uh, almanac has three sections. Right. And, uh, and of course, the almanacs have all this calendrical and astronomical and astrological stuff, which f- appeals to his rigorous, fact-hungry young mind. Yeah, you know, nothing, just, nothing appeals to your fact mind like astrology. Did you read uh, almanacs as a kid? I did. I sure did. I got yeah. one every year. Boy, uh, in December, the new almanac's coming out. Well, after you've read the encyclopedia three or four times, what are you going to do? The almanac is like the encyclopedia on crack. Yeah. Because it doesn't have any of the nice uh, uh, pictures of, of each state bird or whatever. It's just like, look, here's a list. <laughs> These suspension bridges are super long. Look, here's another list. Here are all the Heisman winners. Yeah. You know, it's 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 perfect for a certain kind of weirdo. And that was true in the early 1860s Did as well. Did you read the Sears catalog the same way? Because I, I would read the Almanac and then I would read the Sears catalog. There is nothing more different between the ways I read the Almanac <laughs> and the ways I read the Sears catalog. But, but you for did. One, for one thing, there were more than six pages of the Almanac I read, which is not true of the Sears catalog. Oh, that's right. You wouldn't read like whole sections of the Sears catalog, would you? I no, wouldn't. It's just, it's, it's bras so and toys. Underwear. It's bras yeah. and toys. Right. And there's a gap Tools. in between. I don't even know what's in that tool and furniture section in between. I looked, at, I, I, I read that stuff. Because uh, because it really comported with the almanac, like here's all know, here's the, all the it's a list of adulthood basically. Well, here's you know like surely in building a suspension bridge, you'd have to understand what these tools did. And that back in there was an era where Sears was the definition of just all encompassing objects. Right. If something existed, it would be in a Sears, an almanac with pictures. Whereas now uh, a Sears Sears stands in for a. An empty place with nothing <laughs> in it right. but, a, but an old guy with a stocking cap. Incredible real estate. Have you seen, surely you've seen the Sears building in Santa Monica, California. It's like a, it's this gorgeous temple oh, yeah, yeah. sitting there completely empty. It should be turned into at least a roller rink. <laughs> the second saddest kind of building, <laughs> a roller rink. <laughs> uh, so when Moses is old enough, you know, having the almanacs having sparked in him a lifelong interest in the seasons, mm-hmm. the passage, the procession of the... Uh, constellations or whatever it is that precesses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a time for every purpose under heaven. Yeah, sure. And there, there's a, you know, there's a, for a young religious person, there's the religious resonances of understanding 
God's creation and the whirling of his spheres and skies and orbs and whatnot. Right. Spheres and skies and orbs. God's full of spheres and skies and orbs. That's what we love about him. Yeah. It's just right there. It's on the title page of the Bible. Great guy. The Bible. Know, spheres uh, and... Perfect in all attributes, but what's appealing to a little kid is he's got all the spheres and skies and orbs. Yeah, right. Orbs especially. Um... So when he goes to some, you know, some sadly named, uh, what is it? It's the school for destitute boys or something. Oh, dear. The blue coat school from orphans and destitute boys Mm. straight out of a, of a blue coat of a Dickens novel. I'm sure maybe that's the uniform he wears. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a free school. In other words. Yes. Where they're going to, they're going to use the rod to make him not a pauper. But he's gifted and immediately shows that even in this lousy environment, he is going to learn by hook or by crook. Like he teaches himself shorthand, even though it's not in the curriculum, by waiting for the other dumber children to read their selections out loud. And then as they're reading slowly, he has time to kind of practice a, a slow shorthand, which he gets better and better at. Huh. So their their um, dunderheadedness, their chowderheadedness, to coin an 11-letter word. There it is. Is his gain. So he is... Um... <clears throat> He's not a Damien who's riding around on a on a tricycle, like uh, sending his mother over a, over a banister. He's a he's a he's a good boy. Oh yeah, he's a rule follower, a teacher's pet. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's a little too smart for the the school that doesn't particularly care if these if these poor farm boys learn anything or not. I know that feeling. Um, yes, but uh, but he's clearly destined for better things. Mm-hmm. He. Um, he takes the, you know, he, he wants to, he knows the civil service is his step out of the, of the muddy farms. Oh, right. Because you're, it's not a, it's not a path that you're required to have connections or right. you can, you can uh, test your way in. So he gets all these civil service exams that only have the answers and he works, he's able to work backwards, even though he hasn't had any of the curriculum that would enable him to get these answers. He's able to work backwards from the answers to figure out how you would derive them from the questions and therefore to, you know, to go on to be able to do it himself. Now I'm embarrassed that I didn't work harder. You could have taken the foreign service exam at 23 and you would have been... The ambassador to Uzbekistan. Exactly. Instead of, you know, wandering across Europe in haystacks, you could have been in, a, me in a nice um, uh, room in Gabon with a ceiling fan. I always felt like I, I, I should have taken the, the bar exam at some point just to see what happened. Not too late. But if I had reverse engineered the bar exam from, from all the answers, like answer B, torts. What could it be? What could the question have been? Yeah, I think on the bar exam, you can't do the, uh, over the years, people have said and thought many interesting things about torts. Opinions vary about. Um, So his mathematical, uh, rigorous mind, it becomes obvious. And soon he's combining, he's, he's doing the working, doing the tithing for the local diocese. And he's working for a local colliery. And he ends up working for the Northeastern Railway as a clerk. Mm-hmm. And he's, they've got a new, so this being the age of innovation and efficiency, they've got a new division that's actually going to not just write things down as it comes in and then write out checks as they go out, but is actually going to analyze these statistics. Do you remember the beginning what the, of big data? What the, uh, what gauge that railway, <laughs> railroad used? I don't understand why it doesn't say this in hmm. his, uh, in his, is this, will this actually get you involved in the story? Well, if, no. If I'm, we know the gauge of the, of I'm here the still, but I new but Eastern railway. I'm just wondering, you know, this would have been an era where the new Eastern railway might've also picked its own gauge for, for efficiency. I mean, this sake. is the 1870s. This is, this is one early ass railway. Yeah, that's true. Um, so maybe it was a super choo, weird choo, gauge. Choo, 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 choo. Yeah. Every railroad had its own gauge at, the, at this point. What was hard for him was not the, um, you know, much as there were these inconsistencies in gauges between railways. What he found difficult was that statistics were impossible to organize and compare period over period, um, you know, just running payroll or looking at passenger mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, manifests or speeds or whatever it is, because the calendar was weird. Every month was a different length. Every month had a different, I mean, not every month, it's yeah. a different length. That would be weird. But many months are different lengths. Not every month is the same length. More well, to the point. He should have reverted to using lies and damned lies, which is uh, <laughs> which is at least comports with the calendar. He advanced through the lies and damn lies departments and landed in statistics. Um, and uh, you know, you know how like to this day months are weird, right? Like uh, I once had to try to redesign a payroll app for the company I worked at, mm-hmm. and who hasn't? Well, they should have just, I don't know why they didn't buy something. Why didn't they buy software for this? But they, they had a system in-house and they were going to keep it, yeah. but they had decided to start paying, you know, b- uh, bi-monthly instead of semi-weekly or, or whatever. But some of those months are different. Yes. And so I had to write a system that, first of all, would support both systems so we could do the handoff. 
but also would just take into account all the weirdnesses of uh, of the calendar. And you don't you think like yeah yeah it's super easy you know there's Q one Q two Q three Q four yeah but you know every month has a different number of certain days of the week and some months have two paydays and some have three. Did you and succeed in, in in writing this program? Yes, it was like the most challenging thing I ever did in my I don't know three to four years at that company. It was mm-hmm. the place I was working when I was on Jeopardy. And this was like the one time I had to do something I didn't know if I could do. And it was like the most interesting work because it was not drudgery. It was like, wait, how does the calendar work? You know, like how, how, how do we have to take into account leap years and bank holidays and, you know, all the same stuff that was bugging Moses Cotsworth when he was trying to do quarterly reports in, in the 1870s. Well, spoiler alert, apparently Moses Cotsworth didn't solve this problem because you were still trying to address it in 1999. Exactly, exactly. If we had just figured this out in the 1930s, like Cotsworth wanted, we would not have. And this, do you have, have you had times in your life where you were annoyed by the calendar? Like I have, you know, just people trying to figure out how many paydays are going to, if their month is rent, if their rent is monthly, but their pay is weekly. Yeah. Like there's that or. I haven't been paid by an outside entity mm. since 1998. And I often, my relationship to calendars is, as you know, <laughs> from firsthand experience over the course of many years. It's a little casual. I don't really follow the calendar that closely. It's sort of there, and I know it's there. I know other people are interacting with it, and it kind of putters along. It's got a far side panel. And every once in a while, some alert will come that says, hey, you know, this is a day that has something on it. And I go, oh, right, 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 right. And you're not talking about Arbor Day. You're talking about, oh, yeah, federal income tax. (laughs) Right, or like (laughs) I'm supposed to meet Ken and do a a show called Omnibus. (laughs) It's right. right there in the calendar. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm a freelancer, but I do a, mm-hmm. I do a weekly quiz for a company that bills monthly, like these connection quizzes I write. I often have to try to remember, wait, were there nine or 10 of those? Because the calendar is more weird and complicated than well, we yeah. rely on it to now be. Now I am, uh, I'm, I'm realizing I am paid by Patreon every month, but of course it's always the first of the month and that could sometimes vary by three days. It could. And wait a minute. Uh, that's a, that's a I'm real... being cheated. <laughs> not in February, you're not. In February, you're loving yeah. it. Um, well, I guess in early March, you're loving it. Early March, I'm always loving it. In a, that's in, the loving it month. In, <laughs> <laughs> in an ecclesiastical sense, like uh, if you were to be a church-going person, you would have hmm. to deal with the fact that some months have four Sundays and some have five. I'm, right. I, I'm a do, Sunday school do, teacher. Do you by, feel cheated? I'm a Sunday school, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting less God in February and therefore fewer orbs. Right. I would think you'd feel cheated that you were getting too much God on those five Sunday months. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what happens. I'm a Sunday school teacher and I have to remember, wait, wait a second. I, I'm supposed to teach every other week, but this is a five Sunday month, which means there's going to be three weeks until I teach next, which means we're going to be in Romans, not Acts. Oh, Jiminy Christmas. That classic that classic problem we all have. Yeah. When you're in Romans instead of Acts. You've been teaching Sunday school long enough, I think. That I Don't sh- you think it's oh. time for time to take a break? What what should I switch to? Well, I'm saying let a younger uh <laughs> parishioner come up and take the reins. <laughs> don't you know, don't be one of those people that's clogging the Pipeline. I organized a committee to find a new Sunday school teacher, and uh, I ended up choosing myself. Guess what? Guess who the best candidate was? It turned out I was the perfect man Mm -hmm. for the job. Um, So, and back to his almanac period, Cotsworth has been into calendars, like not just in the sense of uh, Julian versus Gregorian, but like going back to the ancients. Yes, like he he went to Stonehenge to make measurements. Calendar nerd. And to, you know, to, he went to Stonehenge on the equinox to see how it differed from the solstice and could the stones be lined up in a certain way. And he went to, he looked at, talked to people who had Egyptologists who had been to Giza. Hey, did you measure the shadow of the pyramid? Yeah, and okay, if so, yeah. on which day? Like, this is the kind of, you know, proto-chariot of the gods stuff that he's into when he thinks about the calendar. It's mystical to him. I feel like I would get along with this person. This all sounds like stuff that I would... He sounds lovely, right? I would happily sit at a a table and listen to him talk about this. I am on his side, which makes his story very sad. Oh, dear. To to simplify his job at the railway, he comes up with what he calls the Yearl, which is maybe the name is the problem? The name's the problem. It's Y-E-A-R-A-L, Yearl. Nope. Yearl. Nope. He needed... You know what? Branding is its own job, and you can't just... Think that because you are smart about calendars that you're also good at branding. I'm kind of surprised there is not an indie rock band called Yearl. Yeah, there probably is, actually. 
You just haven't heard of there's them probably one called, it's a bad name. There's probably one called Cyril. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they never got signed. Why is that? Um, the Euro works like this. It is not the... He's aware of the French Republican calendar and other attempts um, to do this, but his calendar, because he likes the even months, he cares about months more than quarters because that's how his railway wanted... He and, likes the 30-day months. And it makes more sense. Well, he wants 13 months of 28 days each. Oh. And the virtue of that is simple multiplication. 13 times 28 is 364, baby. And then... That's closer than, than Robespierre got. Right. Then, then one day of Festivus. That's exactly right. So after your 364 days, you have year day. Year day. At the end of the... Uh, at the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and every four years, you have to have year day and then a, a, leap, a leap day, like an extra year day, but that's fine. Why not put them in July? Uh, well, the problem is, where do you put the extra month? Where would you put a 13th month if you, if you could redesign the year, John Roderick? Wouldn't you put it in the, wouldn't you put it in the autumn? Why the autumn? Like just, uh... It always feels like the autumn gets short shrift. <laughs> I feel like, you know, autumn... Autumn should be autumn should be longer. Everybody likes autumn. So you realize this is not going to prolong the weather of any of these seasons. Well, I know, but it just feels like we were like trucking along. You know, spring you feel like it unfolds, right? Spring is a thing that like, oh, it's spring, and you know, you get those first sunny days in February, and you're like, oh, it's spring, and then of course you have to be reminded that the, that it's going to be lame again for some period. But spring is this, you know, sort of. Uh, uh, intangible, whereas autumn is so confined to like Labor Day, Thanksgiving, so back to school. Yeah, you're just you're in there. You get you put your sweaters on. There's a little bit of football happening, I guess, on the sides, and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, back to back to the grind. Uh, Cotsworth, I think, wanted to keep uh, our normal months, our, our our custom month. You know, he he was not a revolutionary like. The French. He wanted this. He wanted ease of use and efficiency. So he was January, February, March. It yes. was just they were th- twenty-eight days. Yeah, and he wants to insert an additional twenty-eight-day month. And so, where does it happen? Right after June? Yeah, right in the middle. Yeah, right between June and July. He was like, we then we have Saul. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a Jewish fella. No, it's S O L Saul oh, for sun. sun. That's probably right. Yeah, uh, but that's very Northern Hemisphere centric. I mean, the Southern Hemisphere has very little Saul in. June, July. Unsol. They would call it... Uh, N- Nasol. Cold kangaroo or mm. whatever. Mm. No? Mm-mm. Bad branding right there. Cold <laughs> kangaroo, bad. Cold kangaroo opening for a year old. Hire someone that's good at branding. <laughs> well, um, but uh, So I, I agree with that because then it kind of pushed... Then autumn becomes more of a... I, I feel like then you're after Saul. It just means you, the thing you've added is now kind of a... You, you've worked toward this pyramid in the middle of the year and you have an extra 28 days of... Of sun, yeah, and then and then you then, again. It doesn't change the weather. That's right, but you know, but I do feel like it contextualizes autumn in a better way. I I support this. I don't know if he months. cares about the aesthetics, but like the advantages of this are pretty clear. Um, if you think about the implications of a twenty-eight day month, first of all, uh, every you know it's one through twenty-eight. The first of every month is in his uh, conception a Sunday. Okay, um, which means the the first is all you can know immediately. You can see a date and be like, oh. Uh, the 11th, that's always a Wednesday. Well, now this is, this, this sort of, um, presents an interesting question. Like, does the, does the nature of Ramadan moving through the calendar change your interaction with it? Yes, it does. Does the, does the fact that every, every Sunday could potentially be somewhere else in the calendar, does it make it, it makes it very confusing, but does it make it well, that's a funny thing. Better. Like, he was actually, one of the main uh, interests in calendar reform at this time was that pesky Easter. People were so tired of Easter just popping up like a whack-a-mole when yep. you least expected it. Easter could, popping up like a whack-a-mole. It's right in, there on the title page of the Bible. Could be in early March. Yep. Could be in mid-April. Yep. Who even knows? Yep. Uh, and there were literally like, you know, uh, communiques and conferences and academic writing on how we fix Easter, involving, you know, the Archbishop of Canterbury. They should have fixed this at the Council of Nicaea. I've said that for years. <laughs> they had a chance, yeah. and everybody just wanted to go home early. <laughs> should we do Easter, or should we wait till Blah, blah, trend? blah. The moon, the moon, the moon. <laughs> uh, and, you know, in his conception, you know, we'll just fix Easter on the second Sunday in April. No problem. Wait a minute. A fixed Easter is what you're saying? Yeah. Efficient Easter. You okay. always know where the bunny's going to be and when. It no longer has anything to do with the moon. 
and you're saying, you know, this is the kind of thing where we would remove some of the Ramadan-like mystery and drama of the of the liturgical year. Well, yeah, but I mean, doesn't God have a say here? I feel like God had a plan and it was written down a long time ago. And who's this guy to fix Easter? I wonder if somewhere? it comes out of the idea that you know, kind of this post-deist idea that you know, God's orbs are perfect. Yeah. If our if our math looks screwy, it's because we are not understanding the orbs correctly. Well, because Julius Caesar had some dumb thing about himself. Exactly. And then Pope Gregory, you know, yeah. we're, we're just getting closer and closer to the actual understanding of the orbs. Oh, so, so yeah, right. You're, you're learning about the orbs. You're realizing that orbs are real. First of all, I'm here yes. to tell you orbs are real. We know, we know how they move, not the, not the old mythology about how they move. And, and, uh, you know, hashtag science. Exactly. Okay. In this house, Science is real. I mean, he, the guy was interested. He was one of these amateur scientists. He was an early believer in continental drift. Best kind. Although for the wrong reasons. He was sure that the evidence that the continents were moving was that uh, it was a super racist one. People. Oh, it wasn't that they were on the backs of tortoises? <laughs> uh, his evidence was, you know, most people were and like. Africa was trying to get away from the rest of the world. Most people were like, hey, I looked at the map and Africa and South America seemed to fit together. Therefore, he was more like, look, people in the Middle East used to be super up on things. They had right. monotheism, Hammurabi's code, bronze, those Algebra. people were killing it. Yeah. And today, look at these lazy Turks we have over there. Like it mm. was just, it was just 19th century racism. <laughs> so clearly it used to be warmer there and the Middle East moved. Like his idea of continental drift is, um, the continents are moving into more or less tropical zones Creating thus, more stupid people? Thus affecting the productivity of their <laughs> of their inhabitants. Well, did he know that the Turks weren't from Arabia? I yeah. mean, that's key. I mean, there's many problems. Also, like, the Turks did a lot of pretty good work there. Exactly. Yeah. And also, you could look at any map and see that the latitude of these places had not changed, but that didn't appear to trouble him. He was, you know, he, he was an early believer in climate change, but again, for the same reason. You right, because the continents are moving around. Yeah, he, he, he knew about ice ages, but he was like, yeah, continents are moving around. That's why they're getting hotter or colder. But he feels like the continents are moving around on a pretty accelerated time scale. Apparently, if yeah. it's like between the Bronze Age and today, they are booking. Wow. Um, so, you know, this is all part of his scientific, but what he really cares about is this 13-month, 28-day calendar. He thinks this is the future. He does not appear to be aware that um, the philosopher Comte has already suggested a similar calendar right. uh, as part of his positivist philosophy. I mean, I feel like I had come up with this calendar just on my own in I mean, about you, sixth grade. If you just look at the roots of, of 365 and 364, you will immediately hit on 13 times 28 as a very um, promising outlook. Yeah, 13 is my favorite number. He writes the... Is that true? Yeah, because I was born on the 13th and I've Ooh. just always felt like... It's a cool number, and the fact that people are spooked by it is all the more reason that it's cool. It's a sign of your superiority to the to the normals. Mm -hmm. I was born on a Friday the 13th, actually, which gives me the power to shoot orbs from my fingertips. Well, here's a problem with Friday the 13th. If you start every month on Sunday the 1st, oh, no. you will have 12 Friday the 13ths yes! in a year. Kapow! So Take that! This is now your favorite calendar. Take that, Oh, sorry, dice. I said 12. It's actually 13. You will have yeah. 13... Friday the 13th. This is the best calendar. Every single I'm good. Year. Okay, now let me ask you this. If I started using this calendar, how, given that calendars have very little effect on me, how would it, if I just started sending uh, like messages to you saying, Happy Saul the yeah, Ape, Ken. Hey, hey, the second week of Saul, I can't do our show. What would you, what would you say about we, we it? We have a test case of what would happen if, if moderns tried to just start, quietly start using this rational almanac in parallel because Eastman Kodak did so for uh, 60 years almost. This is the greatest story. <laughs> so here's what happens. Um, Cotsworth publishes his rational almanac in 1905, making the case for his 13 month year. How did he, where did he fall on, uh, on daylight savings time? Oh, I don't know if he even considered it yet. I guess they would already have had the time zones by then. Yeah. Um, but they would not have initiated daylight savings for another little while. That's true. That was like World War One, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway. But it, it's irrelevant because he quickly gets kicked out of the UK. He starts um, agitating for um, union organizing at his employer. Good man. Just like today, they hate that. Sure. Um, and just like today, he has to flee to British Columbia, which is what oh. you do when, you're, when your workers' co-op goes wrong. Is that what happens? That's invariably what happens. Okay. British Columbia. Um, so, you know, he's one of these people that, you know, how Canada will claim any scientist who ever came or left from there as I a sure, Canadian. I sure do. It's right there on the on the title page of the Canadian Constitution. He's probably on their dime uh -huh. next to some weird schooner. Because yeah, he's he, riding a bird. He lived the rest of his life in Western Canada. And now that he's in the New World, um, you know, where the 
where the 20th century is happening. Right. The rivers flow with gold. He, uh, his rivers do not flow with gold. He pours all his money into uh, over 60 pamphlets. He starts touring different uh, community meetings and clubs trying to make a, a, build a grassroots case for his new calendar. Um, he has to mortgage his house. Um, but it works. There's a lot of interest, you know, but if he talks to the right chambers of commerce in Paducah and Peoria and all these other North American cities, he can find lots of people who are like, yes, yes, this would, this would help with our books. I say. And, uh, is that their accent? I say. (laughs) We could get more efficiencies. Now, I would not say that our personal devices are one of the things making us more tranquil and peaceful and centered in no. the year 2021. No, our personal devices are the worst thing that ever happened to humankind. But you know what I found out from my daughter? This is wisdom from the younger generation is she was having a hard time. Another thing I don't believe in. <laughs> she was, <laughs> you don't believe in the old uh, WFTYG? My daughter was having a hard time falling asleep and she started using a meditation app on her phone. Oh, I've been hearing about these. To like, uh, you know, help... Uh, become more mindful and centered and relaxed. And it was, she swore by it. My daughter also now wants to go to sleep to this ASMR, like storytelling app where people are like, Hey, you know, and then you walked across the trail. And it totally makes sense. I mean, why not use the technology to outwit the technology? It's not like, it's not like we all have a ton of time for just guided meditation and spiritual retreats in our life. I need to learn to meditate. Well, let me recommend to you, John, the app called Headspace, advancing the fields of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Okay. I think of meditation as being like a spiritual practice, but you're telling me that I can hack the culture of the the life-murdering phone with technology and turn it into an anti-technology self, uh, like calming reappraisal of life. Yes. If you are overwhelmed by a stressful world going through a very stressful year, there's so many options in headspace. If you want help falling asleep, if you just need a three minute SOS meditation in a very tough moment, uh, Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits. Oh, lay it on me. 600,000 five-star reviews, and it's been downloaded over 60 million times. 60 million people have uh, undertaken this life-changing meditation practice. I'm opening my phone right now because I want to download this thing. You should download it. They- I, I need I need whatever this is. Headspace. Got it. You deserve to feel happier, John. I do. Headspace is meditation. Thank you made for simple. saying that, Ken. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not just talking to any I'm not saying the general you. I mean yeah. you, John yeah. Roderick. Yeah, well it's hard for me sometimes to uh to to care for myself, to take myself seriously. You need to take self care seriously. And don't right. just download it right now before I give you this important information. Go okay. okay. Headspace.com slash omnibus. Because at headspace.com slash omnibus you will get a free one-month trial. You'll have access to their full library of meditations without paying a penny. Really? Headspace.com slash omnibus. It's their best deal currently offered. Head there today. And in fact, uh, Switzerland is interested in holding an international conference in, should we get rid of this old crappy Gregorian calendar? Typical. That's causing so much... I mean, uh, typical the, of this way. I mean, the more processes start to get automated. Like, it doesn't matter if you're just hand-inking a bunch of checks. But when you start automating these processes, and you know we're get, we're not too far away from punch cards, right? Um, you're going to want a the most regular, repetitive calendar possible. Well, and it's absolutely the era where the last superstitions are uh, hopefully being demolished and replaced with uh, national socialism, <laughs> <laughs> the, or the good order of, uh, of of German superiority, or or the third international and uh, you know the workers' revolution. That's of, right. of, you know, it's 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 going to be one or the other. Um, this conference is set for uh, Switzerland in January 1917. Mm, Unfortunately, uh, that's a, this, uh, this is like a pandemic scheduling. Yeah, unfortunately, this, this falls through. <laughs> <clears throat> they um, couldn't. They couldn't get everybody there. In and time. maybe this is what happens if World War One does not happen. If if Ferdinand never gets shot, maybe we are on a thirteen month calendar today. Is the calendar still uh, called uh, this terrible name? Yeah, Yeri. No, it beca- it's yeah. uh, he calls it the Ural. Today we often Ural. call it the Cotsworth calendar. It's mostly remembered as the International Fixed Calendar. I think that's kind of what the pamphlets 
kind of center on. Um, but, you know, he's poured all his money into this conference that never happens. And in the 1920s, he's living in a New York hotel room eating bread, cheese, and watered-down milk. Now, look, um, I've done that, and it's not so bad. <laughs> You're saying this was this should, could have been the highlight of his life. I don't know. I, I wrote an entire record living in a New York <laughs> hotel eating bread, cheese, and water. Well, he's like you. It's great for his productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, he meets some kind of uh, – he meets a muckety-muck somewhere. I can't remember where uh, – who introduces him to – Oh, uh, it's a union carbide executive of his acquaintance um, who introduces him to George Eastman, who is, who is immediately sees the benefit and has the, you know, has his own company where he can say, yeah, guess what? I I can be part of the solution, not part of the problem. From now on, the Eastman company will do all its books on the international fixed calendar. 13 months, baby. There is no nutty system that George Eastman wouldn't at least consider. (laughs) Happy Saul summer picnic, everyone. Uh, uh, and this was at a time when Eastman Kodak was becoming a massive corporation, one of the biggest of the mid mid century. Yes, uh, and you know he's and he's knocking on the doors of GM and movie studios and MetLife and Woolworth and all the big names. Um, and, is he bolstered? And they're, like, is and they're he, like, yeah, the Ural, yeah. Is he bolstered by anything? Does he have an advanced degree? Does he have a patron? Does he have Cotsworth? Yeah, is there any reason why the, the why General Electric would would have this guy in? Well, he's just a guy writing pamphlets, but once he gets George Eastman. Yeah, yeah that's right. that's when once Eastman is like, this is the future of accounting, gentlemen. That's when the guy at General Electric will start stroking his chin as well. You know, the thing is the Eastman calendar, I love that branding. Do you think it would have caught on if it was like a, a captain of industry? Well, yeah, Yearl, boo, Guess Cotsworth, what? boo. Eastman did not get Eastman Kodak did not get rid of this 13-month internal like I mean, they didn't make their employees do it. But this was how they ran their books until 1982. And Reagan so, is president when the Ural is abolished from Kodak. So they were paying on a on a yeah, presumably on a maybe a weekly or, or uh, a bi, se- biweekly system. But it makes sense a seven day week every they get the well yeah. I mean, how would you even know the difference? I guess it's because you're getting paid. You're getting paid randomly uh, if you were if you were living according to the other calendar the the one we use the julian calendar your your paycheck would be coming just like from outer space sure right? uh yeah i mean they it, it, it probably doesn't trouble any of the employees how the books are being kept hmm. um but hmm. this is the legacy of cotsworth's friendship with his new patron and you know thanks to this kind of movement at home uh, in October 19, uh, 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 the League of Nations decides to hold a conference in Geneva in October of 1931 about new calendars. And this is where I think Cotsworth first does battle with his great enemy, an American socialite named Elizabeth Achelis, I believe, uh, who is part of the World Calendar Association. And they also agree that the calendar should be uh, modified, but they want to keep the quarter, which means what you have is 12 months of 31 days, 30 days, and 30 days respectively. So it goes 31 days, half January, 30, 30. 31 days, half April, 30, 30. 31 days, half July, and so forth. Um, Why can't they keep Saul as a special month? They do their quarters based on the the 12, and and then... Q1, Q2, Saul, Q3, Q4. It's like halftime. Yeah, Yeah, right, exactly. Janet Jackson sings. Something else happens during Saul. (laughs) So it does seem like a very minor disagreement. Can't these two get together and decide what the relatives with the relative? Why can't the World Calendar Association get behind? But you know, like like anybody with small disagreements, this yeah. turns into a huge schism. Right. It's like that emo Phillips joke about the two different Midwestern Lutheran synods or or whatever. You know, like they have everything in common, but but you know the, those small differences are what really rile you. Yeah. So uh, for life, Cotsworth has to deal with his nemesis, Elizabeth Achelis. Who outlives him? She lives till the 1960s, I think. So, so he cannot win that battle. Oh, it's like the Council of the 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 Council of Judea versus the Revolutionary Council of Judea, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Or it's like any yeah, it's it's any uh, secular person's idea of the 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 nonsensical differences between Catholicism and Protestantism that that Ireland fights for, or or the same thing in Bethlehem. Careful. No, no, no. We Don't I think we all the agree. Wrath of, wrath of the Irish. <laughs> I was I, I was more worried about the wrath of the atheists. So 31, 30, 30, and then you get World Day at the end, I think. And uh, as a result of this inter-calendar nerd squabbling, no agreement comes out of this October 31st conference. But there's a bigger problem, which you suggested, which is what are the more um, 
traditional or even mystical religions going to think about this new methodical way of marking time? And spoilers, they hate it. The Catholics will not sign on to the Easter Act, um, which uh, fixes Easter on a certain date, systematizes Easter. And your big problem is Judaism. Oh, right. Um, I mean, that was true in the 30s in a lot of senses. (laughs) But here it's a very specific theological Sure, because everything's spinning around the calendar in Judaism. In Judaism, the seven, I mean, mean, we all have a, every, every, um, many traditions have a, seven-day Sabbath, but um, Judaism is incredibly locked into a Sabbath that falls on a specific day of the week. And the problem is, if you have all these regular weeks, but then the weeks do not continue, the weeks reboot every year, there's a bonus day. Like, that end-of-the-year Sabbath, those those two days would be eight days apart, Oh, uh and therefore violate um, rabbinic law. Sure. I, I would think that every Friday being the fifth or the... Um, yeah, that's all great. Yeah, that's cool. Everybody right? remembers Shabbos, but then what happens at the end of the year where there's an eight or nine day gap between Ooh. Sabbaths? Ooh. Um, and you can't just have an extra Sabbath. Oh, like in that like in that week you would have like a mid-Sabbath? Or do a double Sabbath. Or like a... You, you, you go, to, go to temple on Friday and you don't come out until Sunday. You could do like what the French did and have like a half Sabbath in the middle. Half Sabbath. Like just a little half Sab. Uh-huh. Um, so the fact that, um, you know, there's strong religious objections from different bodies to, to systematizing the calendar just kind of kills it. Yeah, and, but strong religious exemption or exceptions has has not really stopped um, industrialization or or the March of Progress. It is funny that in this one case they were like, an eight-day Sabbath, we are going to kill this thing. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know, maybe it's, maybe there was, maybe that's just the excuse. And there was a lot of baked in resistance to a new calendar for, for the same reason that there was when you try to implement the metric system or literally any other, or tell people to wear a small piece of cloth in the, in the drugstore, you know, like people are suspicious of change. It does feel very much like everybody, all the different, uh, uh, invested groups just were, Looking around, coming up with reasons they didn't like it just because. And like Europe using uh, the Jewish religion as a scapegoat would not be unusual in the 30s. Right. That's That seemed like a— Unfortunately. Uh, it, was, it was all the rage. Um, you know, Cotsworth lived an amazing life. Um, in the 30s, I guess, you know, his papers are now in some—I think they're in some Yorkshire collection and, uh, you know, just remarkable stuff. He owned— a calendar rod from King Tut's tomb somehow. Hmm, he prob- went, he, probably not kosher. He, yeah, not, not he legally. That, right? Speaking of not kosher, he went to Russia in the 30s to try to lobby Stalin about a six-day week. He had a new idea for a, a different week length. See, um, that, that seems like it would have been successful. I mean, lobbying Stalin for something cranky. He was a true believer, this guy. Um, but in 1932, he, he met with George Eastman about... Uh, you know, what, what are our next steps? And um, I think tragically, uh, you know, how to, how to get funding for, you know, a, a, new, a new push for the year old. And unfortunately, just days later, Eastman committed suicide. Oh. Uh, Eastman had been planning this for a while and had left all his philanthropic stuff in, in uh, order. But unfortunately, he did not leave any funding for Cotsworth's calendar work. And so after a few years... He was broke again. Oh, um, he was able to schedule another League of Nations conference uh, for 1935, which, due to the tensions in Europe, got pushed to 1936, and then, as did, you can imagine, get less tense. never happened. Yeah. Um, so he was thwarted by world wars twice, and he died in 1943, still convinced that the international fixed calendar was the future. It's, a, it's funny. You know, we think back on these people as eccentrics, but in their time, they were the scientists, you know, yeah. they were the innovative reformers, you know, they were the ones pushing for a better world. Right. And, you know, we think of them as cranks, maybe unfairly, just because he couldn't get along with Elizabeth Achelis or, you know, was super interested in the pyramids. Well, when you said at the beginning of the episode that he was, um, you know, an amateur scientist, I feel like um, the, the amateur scientist has been discredited by so many terrible amateur scientists who are who are um, 
who are not even trying to use science. But the, the tradition of the amateur scientist that actually is trying to use science, believes in science and understands the methods of science. Not in it to make a buck. Right, but in it to yeah, not in it to have a have a fake PhD from a from a, a Tuscaloosa Bible College, but actually to be a be a scientist on their own. You know, they've advanced progress a, a thousand ways. They are the they were the original scientists, and I I wish there were more. The movement's not quite dead. In the process of reading up on Cotsworth, I discovered the new calendar, NU, at newcalendar.org. Oh, I thought it was going to be Noi Calendar, which I... No, it's like new metal. Yeah. It's, Ooh. It's, Is there an umlaut? It's a calendar, but there's a there's a 13th month with a wrap in the middle. Uh-huh. No, it's... Um, <laughs> What what is going on here? It's it's bas- it's ba- it's basically um, Cotsworth's calendar. It's thirteen twenty eight day months followed by year day. Hooray! It's year day, but it's it's kind yo, of yo yo year day yo. <laughs> no, it combines the French Revolution thing of secularizing everything. So the months right. are no longer named for for pagan gods. The months are now named for the continents: Africa on Monday, all the way through Antarctica on Sunday, and the months have been renamed so that for for different virtues relating to human rights. The year begins with the month of equality and impartiality and moves on through the month of life and nature, the month of integrity and health, the month of migrations and travels, identities and diversities, work and entrepreneurship. Look how they threw a bone to two different yep, yep. two different demographics there. Month of peace and security, freedom and democracy, education and knowledge, the month of justice and redistribution. Whoa. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know if that's going to happen. How does that equate with the industry and, uh, <laughs> and entrepreneurship? Yeah, we'll have an entrepreneurship. October would be welfare and progress. Then November is family and fraternity. December ideals and beliefs. So there's there's some there's some nod to yeah yeah the month that used to have Christmas is still the one about ideals ideals and beliefs, and beliefs as you understand. Them. Can I jump in here and say that that sucks? That, <laughs> that all of that sucks. Every one of those ideas sucks. That's not that's that that's going to doom this. All of that yeah you know that hand wringing, uh, wet hanky stuff in the, in this new calendar. Things ought to be called things like. The, the the months ought to be called like steel and dirt and air and water, you know, like like things that are elemental. Well, we're recording this on what a Wednesday, just you know, after the middle of the year, which means we are in the month of education and knowledge. I think we are. I think today is North America, uh, the eleventh of education and knowledge. What you, you think that sucks? Sucks. And that concludes the Cotsworth calendar. Entry 283.jb0306, certificate number 25901, in the omnibus. Futurelings in the unlikely event that uh, today on on uh, North America the North 11th. America the 11th uh, in uh, social justice month of of uh, dynamism year of nice feelings and happiness. Yeah. You're listening to this program. Um, There's something North Korean about the new calendar that I would like to institute. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Health in progress. Yeah. Um, you can find uh, all of our, um, well, I guess what would now be our very, very old fashioned and weird senses of humor on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at omnibus project. None of what we said or are saying makes any sense to you, I'm sure, but the melodious and lulling sound of our voices is, you know, you're picking it up in your feelers. And, you know, have you ever, has this occurred to us that the show might survive into the future, not as a, uh, not as a, as a source of information, but just as a kind of music or that, that we're, that we're being in, that we're being heard as a, as a stimulating kind of, just like sensory experience. What if we leave gold records behind and people think they're jewelry? They're just like, or just use oh. it as a hat. Oh, right. They think it's a visual. We're the first ever podcast to be used for its visual properties. People are like omnibus. They they make the best Christmas tree decorations because of course <laughs> Christmas will survive. Um, you can find uh, some funny things at Ken Jennings on Twitter. I'm going to say some. What do you what do you think it is? Thirty percent. One in ten. Yeah, ten uh, percent funny things at Ken Jennings. And you can find my funny things from 2009 to 2019 at John Roderick. Um, Also at John Roderick on Instagram. Both of these things are dormant accounts, but go knock yourselves out. 
But you can email us, and this is an actual live email address that Ken's wife Mindy will look at periodically at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. I read it too. I think you just don't read it. No, I read the ones that you send me that usually <laughs> are like, your friend John is a dork. I do not send you those. Uh, you can, oh, you can find me at patreon.com at John Roderick, and you can find our show, more importantly, at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Uh, please look up Futurelings wherever social media is found, and you can mail us things, real life things, things that you have touched with your hands and hopefully not put any sort of, uh, anthrax powder upon. Yeah, that's our number one rule. No germ warfare. No germ warfare against us. We are nice people. Let us let us survive unto old age. Is it too much to expect a podcast listeners to abide by the Geneva Conventions? I don't think so. Thank you. Well, that means that they can't use mace or tear gas, which does not apply to the police. That's true. So we want you to uh, adhere to a more strict um, set of guidelines about the use of chemical weapons than a typical American police department. At least to us. We, yeah, don't, right. we don't care who else you're macing and tear gassing in your neighborhood. Just don't mace and tear gas us. True. Is that, is that so hard? Yeah. Just, just two people out of seven billion people on earth. Save your mace for your neighbors. Mace someone different. That's the omnibus motto. Send it to P.O. Box, not not mace. Send gifts, friendly things, letters to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Here are some fun postcards we have. Uh, Yvonne and Stefan, Stefan maybe, were uh, road tripping uh, down the Oregon coast and listened to... Some pretty appropriate omnibus uh, entries, uh, boysenberry and mulberry. They were doing berry-themed omnibus. But they didn't do the petrified forest of... Uh, Neskowin. Neskowin. Uh, maybe, maybe they can do it on the way back. Do, uh, have we arranged our podcasts with hashtags uh, that are geographical? Oh, that's a good idea. So you know where to listen to which. Yeah, right. Like, I'm headed into the uh, into Omaha, Nebraska. Here's... What a fun project that would be for a listener who's not us. <laughs> make, make a world map of omnibus. Keep it up to date with new shows. Would it kill you? We finally added Yorkshire today. Um, after listening to these berry-themed omnibuses, they decided to rank all the Northwest berries. The order goes blue huckleberry. They seem ideal for this uh, hashtag know. project. Himalayan blackberry. You guys should get on this. Red huckleberry, then thimbleberry, then my uh, nemesis, the salmonberry. Yeah. Then the dewberry, then the red elderberry, which has to be last because it's poison. The uh, the Himalayan blackberry, of course, is an invasive species in the Northwest, although really thrives here. You know, we were, where were we? Those blackberries are delicious. We were somebody, oh, we were walking by, uh, we were in, um, we went to Germany to visit my wife's family this summer. And walking down this kind of residential street to get to the Lind chocolate factory in Zurich, which I oh, know is not in Germany. Did you not bring me a big bag of those? Uh, How did you fail to do that? We have some at home. I should have, I'll bring you I some Lindt truffles. I didn't realize that you went to Lindt and got the real, the real Lindt's. So you think they're the same as the ones they no, sell here? it's like Jägermeister. They put extra stuff in the German ones. The Kinder eggs are different over there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we walked by this garden that, where they had planted in a row, just like we would plant raspberry bushes or blueberry bushes here. They had planted what looked to be Himalayan blackberry. As a, as a, as a ornamental. Crop. No, as a, yeah, as a garden fruit crop. Oh, oh. And I thought, you, lady, you do not want to do that. Like, yeah, careful. Switzerland's going to be overrun in a matter of months. It's like putting bamboo along your back fence. You're going to be sorry you did. We also heard from, uh, who trying <coughs> to read here? Maybe Joshua... Is that a dot, Joshy? Maybe, maybe that's the <coughs> comma on Sincerely. He was in Strasbourg, France, which is... Uh, which used to be not France. It's, uh, I guess, uh, got a comic book and graphic novel bookstore, and so he sent us... I think that's Joshua. He sent a postcard of the most offensive uh, Tintin novel, the one you can't get in the U.S. <laughs> oh, there it is. Tintin o Congo. Tintin probably should... Like many Belgians, he should not have been in the Congo. No. Because... No, or Hergé should have, uh, should have maybe thought twice about... That depiction of the comic. Well, and the funny thing is, that's one of the ones I think he redrew in the 60s, and uh, he should have known better by then. Yeah. So thank you for sending me an extremely racist postcard that uh, <laughs> probably makes my mailman think I'm racist. Now, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, you know, Belgium doesn't have the greatest uh, uh, colonial history. We almost got through here without just randomly ripping on some European country for no reason. Damn but, you, Belgium. So we have Belgium and Bandon represented in the... Uh, in the postcard. And here's today. welcome to Old Town Bandon. Bandon nice. OR. So yeah, why not? Send us postcards of your journeys. 
we obviously care. We could have ended the show already, but for some reason we're uh, yep we're talking about Belgian racism. Yep, that's right. We could have been we the show could have been one of the rare ones that actually came in under an hour. But, oh, but, were we close? Yeah, but oh, we were we were doing great until we got to the mailbag. Ooh. But you know, this is the kind of fan service that. Well, what's this bag right here? I'm not <laughs> opening that one yet. That's for the next show. Oh, oh, all right. Delayed gratification. John's a one marshmallow child. Crinkle, crinkle. No, that's not true. If you hang a banana from the roof, I'm going to figure out to use the chair. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the eventual catastrophe we fear may never come, or at least not till we get the calendar right. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if Providence allows, with all his spheres and skies and orbs, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs> 